Hello and welcome back to our devotions on the Gospel of John. It's really been a pleasure sharing this with you and I'm glad we are back together. Today I want to share some thoughts on John chapter 3 verse 22 to 30. John chapter 3 verse 22 to 30. Let's read this passage. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your great truths that you teach us. We ask, Lord, then that as we read and reflect on your word, that you will shape our minds and our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 3, verse 22 to 30. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and, there, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and the Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is a rather simple story. John's disciples had noticed something very alarming. That Jesus, who was baptizing near where John was, was suddenly getting more and more people, while fewer and fewer people were going to John to be baptized. This was surely not good, since John then was losing disciples. And so his disciples ran, went to John and kind of gave him this sad and disturbing news that he was losing people, while Jesus was gaining people. And John's reply was refreshing and very surprising. He said, well, actually, he's, um, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. What John was saying was, well, these people are not coming to me because the Father has not given them to me. I cannot receive one thing unless it is given me from above. Likewise for Jesus, if it was not from God the Father, he wouldn't be getting the crowds. And so it does not matter, it does not alarm me that I'm getting fewer and fewer people because it is God who gives. But then he adds something even more refreshing. He said that it was his job, it was his calling, and he was sent to witness to the Christ. He himself is not the Christ but he was called to bear witness for Christ. And so his job was not to attract people to himself. Rather, he was to talk about the one who was to come, Jesus Christ, who was now baptizing. And even more refreshing then, he said, I am like the friend of a bridegroom. When I see the bridegroom coming, I am full of joy. What he was saying then was that he was rejoicing that Jesus was having more and more people, that people were going to Jesus. 
and fewer and fewer people were going to him. What a wonderful attitude that John had. But behind the attitude is deep theology, a deep understanding of how God works and what our role in life is. We are generally very competitive people. We compete over all sorts of things. And truth be told, we often compete over the size of our church and how our churches grow. Can you imagine if one day a mega church plonked itself near Super Bowl and built a large church complex? Wouldn't we feel very threatened? Wouldn't we perhaps think, well, now it's our time to get out? How do we compete with a church like that? Or what's worse, and what's even harder, what if we were the fast-growing church? What if we were the ones, the church that was bringing people in and maybe even attracting people from nearby churches into our churches? What if we were this very successful church and depleting other churches? How would we feel about that? Would we be full of certain sense of superiority? Would we then look perhaps a little more contemptuously at the other churches that were failing and thinking, well, it must be the way the churches run, maybe how unfriendly they are, maybe how bad the preaching is. We may begin then to despise the churches that are not growing as fast. What would happen if either we had a competitor who was bigger than us, and faster than us, or we were the ones who was bigger than the others? Even within Christian circles, we are very competitive. And we not only compete with one another, but often we have this admiration for bigger churches. We think then that if, we, if someone leads a bigger church, if someone serves in a bigger church, he is maybe a better person. I know this because I used to, to pastor in a very large church. Remember when people asked me which church I came from and I told them what church they, I, came from, I was pastoring, their eyes would light up and they would look at me with great admiration. These days when they ask me which church I come from, I say agape, agape, and then they look at me and say, Methodist, still Methodist. And then I say, oh yeah, we are Methodist. Then the next question is, where? And then I say, Taman Jurong. They repeat it a few times, Taman Jurong, Taman Jurong. Jurong, is it? I said, yeah, it's in Jurong, far side of Jurong. I said, oh, too far, cannot go. Not as though they wanted to visit me or come to the church, but it was uncomfortable thinking that I was pastoring a small church. Uncomfortable for them, certainly not for me. I'm enjoying myself so much pastoring at Gape. But the reality is that we often think, admire big churches and think that something must be going right in a big church. Conversely, that something must be going wrong in a small church. But I've known many pastors, sterling pastors, great preachers, deep thinkers, caring pastoral people, who pastor churches that are no bigger than 100 members or maybe even 60. And what I see is the fruit, not the fruit of huge numbers, but the fruit of people who know their God, who have been loved by God and loved by each other and who live out the gospel in their lives. Small communities, 60, 100, 120. 
and yet deeply knowing and loving our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the reality is that God gives the numbers. It is not us who creates or brings greater church growth. Just because more people come doesn't mean that we are doing it right. Or just because fewer people come doesn't mean we are doing it wrong. I mean, of course, we need to make sure that we are doing our best. We need to make sure that our hearts are right and that when we serve our Lord, we serve with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. But that doesn't always result in bigger numbers, more people coming in. And so we need to change our mindset very drastically. You see, a few of our ministries are doing very well. Children's ministry, for example, is growing and it's exciting. It's bursting around the seams. So is our youth ministry. It's growing very fast and soon we'll be running out of space. And it's especially at these times that we must remind ourselves, first, not to be proud. Second, not to think that it is all about church growth methods. You see, there is a big there is a subtle and yet very big difference in how we view the church, the numerical growth of a church. When you go out to reach a person, maybe in our interest groups, do you think of bringing a person in so that our church will grow bigger and so that we'll have more money? Or do you think of reaching a person because you love that person and you say, this person, if that per- this person comes to be among us, I really want her to be loved by the church. I really want her to grow close to our Lord Jesus Christ. I want her to find comfort and encouragement and inspiration within this community. Do we think that way or do we just think, well, that's one more. We've got now a larger membership. It makes all the difference in the world. And so even as we look at newcomers, for example, We could think of newcomers as, well, let's see what our retention rate is. How many of these newcomers can we keep? And truth be told, we are receiving receiving visitors almost every week, even in our adult services, English and the Chinese. But it matters how we think of these newcomers. Are we thinking of how do we close the back door so that they will not leak? How do we make them part of us, as in give us more numbers? As opposed to, how then do we help them to feel that they are loved by our community? How can we help them to know that they can grow with us and so that they will know our Lord Jesus and our Father, our Heavenly Father, much better? You see, when we adopt the attitude that we want each individual to draw closer to God, we want each individual to find friends and a community within our church, then we continue to do the work of God. Like John the Baptist, his role was not to bring more people to himself. His role was to help people to know Jesus Christ. And so it is with our role. We nurture each person not because it helps our church to grow bigger. We nurture each person because we care for them and we want them to know our Lord Jesus Christ. Now what about this principle? How else is this principle to be applied? Sure, it's to be applied this way in our churches, but how else can it be applied outside of the church? 
You see, if we keep these two principles together, first, that nothing comes to us unless it is given by our Heavenly Father. So we can talk about your careers, we can talk about your promotions, we can talk about your business and the success in your business, and the principle still applies. Nothing comes to you except what is given by God. And the second principle then is that our role is to serve our Lord Jesus Christ, to do our very best for God. Of course, when you do your very best, you may also uh, be very successful in your work. But the attitude makes all the difference. You see, you could do a very good job because you want to be promoted. But if, you, if that's your motivation, then chances are you will not help others along the way. You would think this is a rival, I'm going to knock my rival off. This person will, may do better than me and so I'm not going to help him. But if you were to do your work, whether it's in studies or in, in whatever role you work you have, if you were to do it because you love our Lord Jesus Christ, because you want to serve Him and you see your job as the ministry assigned to you, then even as you're doing the best, if someone who used to be your rival or who is still your rival is in need of help and turns to you and says, I messed up, can you help me? Even so, even when it is a rival, you say, yes, I will help you. Because your job is not to get promoted. Your job is to do it as a ministry to our Lord Jesus Christ. I remember, I, I think I've shared this story with you before and I never tire of sharing this with you. Sometime in my previous church, um, a man came to me. He was a vice president of a multinational and he had just been posted to another country. And so he came to say farewell and he came to ask that I pray for him. And in the course of our conversation, I asked him what struggles he had as a senior vice president of a multinational and he said it was very difficult because the air was tense, there was great rivalry, there was distrust. The president was suspicious of all his senior vice presidents and all his vice presidents, fearing that one of them might take over from him. And so he didn't trust any of them. None of the senior vice presidents trusted each other because they were trying to outdo each other and at the same time trying to sabotage the other. And those who were beneath or working the subordinate to the senior vice presidents also were trying to vie for their place and knowing that they were also afraid that the senior vice presidents might kick them out if they felt threatened. And so throughout this organization, there was rivalry, there was tension, there was hostility and there was suspicion. And I asked him then, how, how then do you survive in such an environment? And he said, well, for me, it doesn't matter because I believe that I am where I am because God has assigned me to where I am. If today I am senior vice president, I see that as God wanting me to work in this position. If tomorrow I'm something else, or even if I'm taken out of the job, then I will see it as God giving me a new assignment. Whatever that I do then, I see it as a ministry out of love for my God. And I do it because I love my Lord. And so I don't worry about 
I don't worry about promotions. I don't worry about people fearing me or trying to stab me in the back because that's none of my business. My business is to do the work of our Father. This conversation has stuck with me because it means so much for me and for all of us that we are placed, we are given our positions and given our places by our Heavenly Father. And if He has placed us where we are, nothing can shake us until He wants to remove us. But at the same time, we do what John the Baptist did, that we want Christ to increase and us to decrease. That our role in our lives, in our jobs, is to help people to know our God. Whether, verb, whether we share the gospel very openly or by our lifestyle and by our helpfulness, by our godliness, people see that we have a loving, wonderful God. But that's our job. I pray then that whether it is in the church, in our church service, as we serve our very best, and at times we see ourselves, our church growing in large numbers, at times when we see that people are not coming to our church, we may always be committed to helping people find our Lord Jesus Christ and to know our Heavenly Father who loves them, regardless of the competition around us, regardless of whether we are growing fast or we are not. And may we also adopt this attitude in our work, in the things that we do in our studies, that we do our very best for God, out of love for God. At the same time, we love others because our role is to be ministers for our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, give us this attitude that we may be very assured that we are placed where we are by you, not by politics, not by the way we cut and hurt each other and stab each other, but only because you place us there, not even as a reward, but you place us where we are, that we may be a witness for you in our words, in our deeds, in our lives. Help us to believe this great truth and to live our lives with this attitude, that we open our hands, allow you to place us where you will, always wanting to do the best because we love you. Help us to adopt this in our church as well. That whether our church is growing very much, that in such a case we will never be arrogant, or where our church is not growing very much, that we may not be discouraged either, but that we may continue to point people to you, God who loves them. We ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well then, have a very good day. And um, I'll be back tomorrow. God bless you and goodbye.